0: Hello and welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for those who care about privacy. I'm your host Puneet Bhatia and here we have conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas and opinions relating to privacy and data protection matters. Before we start, a quick disclaimer that the views and opinions expressed are not legal advice. So let's get started. Hello and welcome. Today in the Fit for Privacy podcast, We have someone who's very passionate about ensuring the way we as a society develop and use artificial intelligence in an ethical, inclusive and bias-free way. We have someone who has researched GDPR's impact on deployment of machine learning in the EU and its economical, societal and technological consequences. And we have someone who has co-authored a five-part Fairness in AI series which was featured in the Forbes. She's proud to serve on a mission to make AI inclusive and accessible to everyone. And I'm not talking of a lot of people. I'm talking about Alexandra Ebert, who is the chief trust officer at Mostly AI. Mostly AI is a company that develops the world's most accurate synthetic data platform. So we will ask her, what is synthetic data? And... That's a game-changing new anonymization technology. So welcome, Alexandra.
1: Thank you very much, Punit. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast and thank you for this great introduction.
0: Thank you. And if I may ask, you have this unique title. I usually say our guest is unique, but you have a unique title also. You're not only unique, you have a unique title. Mm-hmm. What do we understand or comprehend from this chief trust privacy officer? <laughs>
1: That's a good question, I get asked quite frequently. Luckily, I'm not the only chief trust officer in the world, but you're right, it's usually a title that's rather rare and that only very huge companies have. Traditionally, a chief trust officer is responsible to ensure that consumers trust the way an organization handles, protects, and uses their data. Within mostly AI, we provide our synthetic data solutions to our clients, to large enterprises. So we mainly don't handle any customer data Therefore, my main responsibility as chief trust officer within mostly AI is to create trust in synthetic data and in mostly AI as a company.
0: And when you say synthetic data, mm-hmm. what do we understand from it? Because we are used to hearing data, personal data. And mm-hmm. then we heard something called the synthetic identity from one of our guests. But what do you mean by now synthetic data?
1: Yeah, was a good question. So. Synthetic data I would guess that you would get different answers depending on who you ask. So I will start with how I understand synthetic data. For me, specifically talking about AI generated synthetic data. This is really an advanced anonymization technology that allows you to retain basically all of the information in any customer data set without risking the privacy of any of the individuals within this data set. So how does this work or how is it different from traditional anonymization technologies? Traditionally, when you wanted to anonymize a data set, you had different approaches like masking, obfuscating, generalization and so on and so forth. All of these approaches from the nature are destructive approaches. So you always had a customer data set and tried to delete, mask, obfuscate those parts of the data set that you deemed to, that seemed to be um, re identifying or dangerous to the privacy of the, the data subjects within this data set. But um, the problem is that in the era of big data, these technologies fail to protect consumers' privacy. So there's plenty of research out there where scientists are warning that traditionally anonymized data sets, even if you delete basically all of the information in these data sets, can still be re-identified because there's just so much data out there in the web and all around that it's easy to re-identify these customers. So with traditional anonymization approaches, you don't get what you want. You don't get a perfectly protected data set. And still you have to decrease the utility of your data set to an extent that it's not useful anymore. As an example, even if you would um, delete everything from a financial transaction data set, despite um, or uh, except two to three columns and um, two to three financial transactions where only the merchant and only the date of the transaction are revealed, you would still be able to re-identify over 80% of your consumers. So you know how many columns and financial transactions are stored usually if you can only have Mm-hmm. two to three financial transaction, and still it's not privacy safe. There's not much, uh, not much left in this data set to get value out of it. And of course, as you can imagine, this is a huge problem for today's organizations because they want to make use of these data assets they have. They want to use artificial intelligence and innovative solutions. But on the other hand, they want to protect the consumer's privacy and they want to adhere to GDPR and the other privacy regulations. And to solve this issue, mostly AI was founded and synthetic data in the way we do it was invented. And synthetic data in this way to protect privacy works differently than traditional anonymization because you only use the original data set as training material for a highly powerful deep neural network that can automatically understand all the patterns, the correlations, the time dependencies to say it's simple how your customers behave and think and what they do, and use this information as some kind of blueprint to create a completely separate new synthetic data set from scratch. So you don't have any one-to-one relations between real individuals and synthetic individuals, but you get a statistically highly representative and realistic data set that is completely anonymous and can even be used for sophisticated use cases like machine learning.
0: Interesting. So if I understand well, you mean, let's say a marketing department needs data for analytics and Mm -hmm. the traditional approach is let's pseudonymize, anonymize and all those things or uh, whatever, de-identify the data. Mm -hmm. But you would look at the database and create an altogether new AI based data set or database, which would be similar, but has no correlation, nothing, no identity matching to the original data set. So it's a complete new database that's created. And can then be used for research, statistics, marketing and whatever you want to do.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You understood it perfectly well.
0: Okay, that's very, very interesting. So that's also protecting privacy. And in that case, I would ask you, how would you describe GDPR in one word?
1: (laughs) Just one word for something like GDPR. That's challenging. But I would say GDPR is the beginning of a new era and hope that these words are okay.
0: (laughs) Beginning of a new era. And would you like to elaborate on that? How do you see that era evolving, developing?
1: Um, Of course, I can elaborate. So I think it was amazing. The intention of GDPR to really take privacy protection front and center and ensure uh, that organizations really take privacy seriously while still trying to find solutions how how they can innovate, I think is the way uh, forward because... Especially in Europe, privacy is a fundamental right. And I wouldn't want to live in a country or on on a continent where it's handled any differently.
0: That's interesting. And you use the term artificial intelligence, or Mm -hmm. I also use it many a times. But at times we use something called robotics or data science as well. And then, of course, there's privacy in between, which we need to protect. Mm -hmm. So... What are these things? Are these correlated? related? How do you see the difference between them? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you only list out the words and don't talk about the problems that you want to solve with um, with these technologies, with these concepts, it's just words. It's just buzzwords. So I yeah. think it's really crucial um, if you as an organization want to engage Uh, Artificial intelligence, or want to make use of uh, robotic process automation, that you really think about the problem that you want to tackle with it, or the innovation that you want to enable with it, and not only do, for example, AI for the sake of doing AI. So, so this is a first thought. How are they connected? I mean, of course, um, data science and artificial intelligence, I would say, are uh, inseparably connected because there wouldn't be any meaningful artificial intelligence uh, without data science. And, of course, also robotic process automation is something that can benefit from artificial intelligence. And robotic process automation can also generate data that can be used uh, for analysis with artificial intelligence. So I definitely would see all of these things being connected in one way or the other.
0: Indeed. I think these are different names used in different contexts. End of the day, in my view, it's about computer-based processing that's happening. And Mm -hmm. in different contexts, we tend to use different terms. And then they relate to data. And that's what creates challenge. And that leads me to ask you, how do you see the interplay between AI and privacy? Because traditionally, we are used to seeing it's AI or privacy, Mm -hmm. never Mm -hmm. AI. And privacy, they're seen as Some people see them as foes, but some people see them as friends. But in your world, when you're saying we create uh, synthetic data, you are rather using AI to assist in privacy.
1: Exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm completely on the same page with you that traditionally I would say, uh, within less mature organizations probably it's oftentimes seen as okay either you can do artificial intelligence or you can do privacy but i think the more mature an organization gets the more ways it find it finds to benefit um, from AI in regards to privacy protection and also to find ways like for example synthetic data to ensure that artificial intelligence is, Uh, uh, doable in a privacy-friendly way. So definitely with my background in synthetic data, I wouldn't uh, see privacy and artificial intelligence as being enemies.
0: Indeed not. And I think when we are working on privacy and AI, in your context and in your work, you are making AI as an enabler for privacy. But Mm -hmm. typically people are also seeing AI as a, or privacy as a hindrance for AI. Mm -hmm. Is that so? I mean, when you are making these data sets or databases or analyzing, does Mm -hmm. privacy law hinder you or protect you from uh, doing these things? Is privacy law prohibiting AI Mm -hmm. actions?
1: Um, I would say some privacy laws are making AI actions more difficult, specifically in the context of synthetic data and the way we use it. I wouldn't say that this is the case simply because The way we use synthetic data is to anonymize data, and for example, GDPR explicitly states that anonymized data, in case it's successfully anonymized, is exempt from uh, privacy regulations, and therefore it's possible to freely use share and, and store synthetic data and also uh, processing it is something that's okay from, from a legal point of view. Uh, in general, um, of course, what we hear from clients when they start out with AI projects, there are some challenges when it comes to privacy because we all know that artificial intelligence is really data hungry and needs massive amounts of data. And mm-hmm. anytime you want to get lots and lots of consumer data, probably sensitive data, um, you can. Uh, on it that it will be a lengthy process within large enterprises so therefore i can definitely see where they're coming from
0: indeed and i think that's where we get into ai being data hungry to ai being responsible ai or ethical ai which Mm -hmm. keeps in mind these are the things we can process these are the things we cannot process and having that cognition having that uh, wisdom to process or not to process or process based on some specific action
1: yeah, yeah. I would say, of course, it's the theory that the smarter artificial intelligence gets, the less data it will need. But I think we are a little bit far away from that stage. So we're still in the rather early stages of artificial intelligence, and therefore we need to, to find ways to provide enough data. And also, since you mentioned um, fair and, and ethical AI, um, I think it's not always the best approach to try to minimize data sets or to minimize the the amount of data you need for two reasons. One reason is that, of course, the potential of artificial intelligence is to uncover correlations within a data set that you were previously not aware of. And therefore, uh, one of the challenges that our clients describe, which they encountered in the past, was that They had some great ideas, but could not necessarily name which columns of specific data sets they would need to do that. And therefore, it would be challenging to have this explorability um, component of artificial intelligence to have a full granular data set where you can figure out if there are some insights correlations hidden that you are not yet aware of. If you have to previously define, I only want to have, I don't know, three columns out of the 100 columns available. So... To really benefit from artificial intelligence, I think in many cases, it's great to retain uh, as much data as possible and retain this possibility of explorability. But also coming back to my second point and to this fairness and, and ethical use of artificial intelligence, of course, uh, we want to make sure that artificial intelligence systems that are developed are not discriminating, are debiased and basically treating people in the way we want uh, everybody to be treated. And we know there have been issues with discriminatory artificial intelligence and scientists and people in the economy have tried to mitigate this by simply deleting or not providing sensitive data attributes like, for example, race, ethnicity or something like that. But the problem was that this didn't solve the issue of AI being discriminatory against certain ethnicities because there were certain proxy variables within the data set. So, for example, I can remember a study from the United States where they showed that even though the ethnicity column was removed, certain zip codes were usually people uh, from, from, uh, um, fr- from certain ethnicities lived were treated in a way that the uh, algorithm ended up being discriminatory. So actually, from, from my knowledge, the current recommendation of scientists is to not leave out the sensitive columns because it's easier to correct and mitigate the bias if these columns are within the data set and you can uh, take action to make sure that the algorithm is not biased. So also, this would be a reason where I would say it's not always the best solution to minimize Uh, the amount of data you provide to your artificial intelligence training.
0: That's a different way of looking at it. So you're saying if we have to be responsible in AI, we need to let AI scan, look at all the data, Mm -hmm. but then the correlations and everything we make out of that, that's where the responsibility comes in. But if we start to filter out data even before having a look at the data, then the bias would be higher or the chances of bias would be higher.
1: Um, as far as I understood the research, they recommended that you don't get the sensitive mm-hmm. columns out of the data set. Of course, as with always, it was not a generally applicable research, but just in this case for ethnicity and they found that it didn't help to remove these columns. I think regardless of how much data we provide to our system, we still need to really make sure that systems, artificial intelligence algorithms are not biased and Only leaving the data in there is not enough to ensure this. So there are other parts uh, that that are important and steps that organizations need to take to really make sure that they have ethical and fair algorithms.
0: So essentially the solution is not just artificial intelligence, human intelligence on top of it.
1: Always, always. So I definitely see artificial intelligence as replacing the human race and (laughs) I rather see it as an addition that helps us to do some things better.
0: Indeed, that's a fear. Sometimes we have like scientific movies, fiction movies that there's a robo who has taken control over the world. Nobody can control him uh, because it's artificial intelligence. He learns from people and becomes gro- grows stronger, wiser and everything and can predict what the human is going to do and is going to take the world out. And then a superhero comes and protects us. We don't want that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I would say that that's a common fear. I mean, uh, this this reminds me of, of uh, my research I did back then when I was looking into the effects of GDPR on the deployment of machine learning in Europe. And back then I interviewed experts from different domains, from the AI domain, certain parts of the economy, regulators, data protection authorities, uh, but also politicians. And uh, to my surprise, uh, I quite frequently heard this from politicians, these kind of um, singularity fears and that AI is going to take over the world and will eliminate all of our jobs. And I can understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's concerning me because I think our political leaders, our regulators should be the ones who also understand artificial intelligence and the regulatory requirements we have right now. And not what will might be necessary in, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years when we might or might not reach this uh, stage of general artificial intelligence that they're now uh, yeah, worrying about.
0: I think that's a fear that has existed forever. I was Listening to a book and that said, in times of Socrates, when uh, they started to writing Mm -hmm. and he said, writing is taking away the human skill because now people are forced not to remember because they can write. So even in those days, I think maybe 400 years or even before, even writing was considered as taking away the human intelligence. And that debate has not subsided now with artificial intelligence. But the whole thing is we are making humanity move towards or society move towards things which humans should do rather than which they ought to do just because there's no other alternative. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's a good point.
0: Yeah. So what elements of privacy are included in a typical AI design? Is there something very uh, kind of a blueprint around these are the privacy elements to take care of or mm-hmm. is it complex? Yeah.
1: Um. I can't tell you a blueprint because the customer projects I encounter are just so different. But of course, there are some common elements that everybody has to take care of. So as mentioned, uh, lots of training data is needed and therefore organizations need to make sure that they have the legal basis to to use this data for, for the planned purpose. Uh, of course, also protecting the the data in the environment that they want to train the system is is an important consideration that has to be made and one thing that we quite frequently encounter um, especially with those organizations that want to engage with artificial intelligence but don't yet have the internal capabilities to do so of course they are interested in collaborating with AI startups, AI vendors and so on and so forth and they, of course uh, sharing the data uh, becomes an issue or getting the vendors or the startups into the uh, environment of, of the organization. So lots of privacy considerations uh, here as well. Um, yeah, I would say these, these are some of the elements. And then, of course, the data minimization question. So um, I think this is really one of the biggest pains we get described uh, from from the market, that it takes months and months and months until you have negotiated which data you can access and use. And as mentioned, the more data, the better. So really difficult for AI projects. Uh, we even recently heard from somebody from the telco industry that I think he said 30% or it maybe was even higher of AI projects don't even take off due to privacy reasons. So
0: yeah, I think that kind of surprises me because and it's not the first time I hear that but privacy does not say you cannot do it privacy only says do it in a certain way and people usually tend to say not only in context of AI even in context of data transfers or many other things oh no we cannot do it because there's GDPR we cannot do it because there's a privacy law well you can always do it in a way if you follow the principles if you follow the right approach you can do it i was talking to an executive and he said we want to move our operations to a low-cost country but i don't think gdpr would allow it and i said well that's not true let's have a discussion around how we can make it happen and now even in the ai people think like it's not allowed i mean you can if you want to create synthetic identities you can very much scan the data under premise of creating anonymization
1: yeah yeah you're right i would say it's also a question of the the mindset and motivation so unfortunately in some organizations um privacy departments or other departments who who possess the data are not really incentivized in making this data accessible and democratizing the access to this data so the colleagues who want to have access oftentimes encounter uh yeah people who who really try to to block their ways and, and not not make projects happen but of course uh, there would be uh, ways to do it so I think it's definitely also a mindset question and probably having processes in place that incentivize everybody within the organization to make sure that an organization can get value out of these uh, data assets that are available.
0: I think it's a mindset issue and since privacy especially the GDPR based privacy concepts are new most uh, privacy professionals tend to take a safer approach rather than being a little bit more bold but There are companies who are experimenting on the fringes of where the shades of gray are there and testing out the boundaries. seeing Is it possible? How can we do it? What can we do? And that's where real leverage and real, uh, real value for society is existing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think this is one of the challenges of GDPR, that there's so much room for interpretation in it. And as you described, some companies are more proactive and trying to figure out the boundaries and others are just a little bit reluctant and waiting for additional clarification. But I think in the end, those who really encounter uh, or those who really um, invest in artificial intelligence and privacy safe and friendly ways of, of making use of artificial intelligence already now are those who will significantly outperform uh, the companies who are still like waiting and looking at this whole space of artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah. And I think it's more of a culture and mindset issue rather than a privacy or AI issue. Privacy and AI, of course, are new or relatively newer. Yeah, it's uh, It's difficult for a lawyer to understand technology and for a technology person to understand the law because the technology person expects binary answer the lawyer expects it depends answer yeah and <laughs> so we need to find the middle ground
1: definitely definitely so i think more people are needed to translate uh, between uh, those groups of experts yeah and
0: uh, is there some specific challenge that you see with these companies or all these around knowledge and mindset and the intention
1: mm. Some other things that come to my mind is that of course cloud resources are beneficial if you want to do uh, the the uh, lots of computing that's necessary for artificial intelligence and especially for large organizations migrating to the cloud is a huge challenge and takes ages. So I would say this is a uh, challenge that, that comes with the whole cloud migration but also affects artificial intelligence and we've also heard from some clients that they really would love to benefit from all these off-the-shelf AI solutions that currently are available from, I don't know, AWS, Azure and, and the other cloud platforms and they of course would also need to to move the data to the cloud which is something that's currently not allowed for for from internal compliance uh, reasons. So here's Synthetic data definitely can can benefit because it's safe to move to the cloud but it has the same structure as the operational and production data and therefore they can use it to develop some algorithms and then immediately deploy these algorithms on the operational data within their production environment
0: that's fascinating for me because we always talk of cloud cloud means you don't know where it is and then people want to brand that cloud as european cloud or us cloud Mm -hmm. and then also most of these companies providing cloud solutions are uh, U.S. companies.
1: Yeah.
0: And when they are U.S. companies, we all know what happened, what's happening around data transfer and uh, the yeah. uh, scrums too and other things. It's fascinating to see so much of debate, but not any alternative existing <laughs> for people to be 100% compliant or risk-free. But that's a completely different topic, I believe.
1: That's true. I would say European cloud and Gaia X are uh, a whole nother story to talk about.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, earlier we were talking of uh, jurisdictions or sovereignty of states. Mm-hmm. Then we were talking of sovereignty of data. And these days it seems like sovereignty of cloud.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Looks like that, definitely. Looks well, like let's that. See in which direction this will head.
0: Right. And so we talked about synthetic identities and synth- synthetic identities help us protect privacy. But what are the, some of the use cases in which that's really relevant? I mean, one of those is when we want to do analysis, when we want to do testing, those are the obvious ones. But what are the, what are the other use cases in which this synthetic identity concept or synthetic privacy, or synthetic data concept can be used?
1: Uh, well, I would say that definitely analytics and testing are really one of the major use or two of the major use cases because especially when you want to do analytics and artificial intelligence, you need a data quality, a granularity of data that no other anonymization solution can provide and therefore synthetic data really is a game changer because it can basically retain all of the information in a data set and you can develop uh, algorithms on top of this uh, data set. So this is really a huge uh, space and, and use case for synthetic data. Testing, of course, you also mentioned. I once had the chance to talk with the chief data officer of one of the largest European banks and he told me that simply having high quality testing data is such a headache for them that he believes that synthetic data will be one of the most important topics for them from now until I think in 10 years, he, he mentioned because with other solutions, you don't get these edge cases and also this granularity and as good as realness as you have it with the production data. So definitely two big use cases, but since you wanted to to, to know more, what else you mentioned trends too. So Also cross-border data sharing, being this uh, between headquarters and subsidiaries is is a big opportunity with synthetic data. But also, of course, if you want to collaborate with with external partners, startups and so on and so forth. And one thing that I think is also exciting is the interest from public sector in synthetic data. So, for example, we work with the city of Vienna, um, who has the mission to provide synthetic data, synthetic citizen data to the startups to the small and medium enterprises to also democratize the access to data and facilitate innovation so that not only all these Googles, Facebooks, uh, Amazons, Microsofts in the world have all the data and, and innovate, but that this is more democratized and also possible for smaller organizations.
0: That's a lot of things. And I think especially in the collaboration and partnership space, that's a huge, huge opportunity because because of, different conditions different reasons or different laws that has been restricted and if we can integrate data across companies and uh, uh, what do you say analyze it we can create mm. wonderful products and really innovate
1: absolutely absolutely and i think therefore synthetic data or i hope really will have a, a big role in the european union because uh, As mentioned, privacy is a fundamental right and we don't want to neglect it. But at the same time, the European Commission set out in its AI and data strategy that they want to become global leaders in the AI space. And basically, I would say no no continent, no nation can afford to uh, be left behind in the AI game. And I think synthetic data is a beautiful way to, to have both to protect privacy and to really be at the forefront of artificial intelligence and not only on the economical level, but also on a societal level. And also if we think about medical research and the possibilities of applying artificial intelligence to figure out ways to cure um, um, illnesses like Alzheimer's disease, cancer, and so on and so forth, I think are super, super promising. But up until now, of course, the risk of having decades worth of sensitive medical information somewhere stored where an artificial intelligence system is is computing on them is really high and can't be neglected. And synthetic data could be the way that allows you to have both in a safe and privacy friendly way.
0: Absolutely. And that's been a really deep and intense conversation around data, AI, synthetic data and so on and privacy, of course. What would be your final message if you were to pass one message to listeners?
1: One message to listeners?
0: Maybe it can be two, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're generous today. Well, my wish would be that people really start seeing as as Uh, AI and privacy, not as enemies, but things that can enable each other and that they actively set out to and look for ways where AI can help them in protecting privacy and how they can bring privacy to the AI projects and solve problems and enable innovation. That's an interesting one.
0: And you do such a fascinating work in the field of AI and privacy. So if somebody wants to connect with you, how should they approach
1: that? I would say the easiest way is just to shoot me a message on LinkedIn. It's Alexandra Iberd, I assume my name will appear somewhere here. So just (laughs) type it into LinkedIn and write me a nice message and I'm quite sure I will reply.
0: Sure. And good. So thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful to have this conversation. Very intense, very deep and very useful. Thank
1: Thank you you so much. much. Thank you very much, Puneet, for inviting me. It was my
0: pleasure. It was our pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening, and now we ask you for some help. Take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast. Your support matters. And if you have done it already, thank you so much. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hellofitforprivacy.com. At and finally, if you know someone who will benefit from this, share this podcast with them and help us grow. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you next time.